Hey everyone, it's been a few days and uh, general scarce, more scarcity of podcast episodes I'm putting out recently. That's just for my own um, amusement, but um, thank you for tuning back in. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I am so coy with my enthusiasm um, and maybe I don't try to be trustworthy, as trustworthy as I am. Or maybe I'm worried about filling the air with my voice in a world that wants to silence you. This is a motivational speech. I'm very motivational. I'm extremely motivational. Um, it's just, it's always like, it's always like people are telling me to stop inspiring them so hard. And I'm saying like, I'm, I'm just a guy walking around. And, um, it's not, it's just that then I come into contact with people and they're automatically so like, wow, what gives you that, that they can't get over it? Um, it's, it's hard for me to explain and I try to explain it. I try to put it into words, um, my capacity for motivation. And it's just that there's levels of enthusiasm that sometimes I, sometimes I go to them. And sometimes I just leave them, sometimes I just leave them on their lonesome, like the person that I would be as very enthusiastic. Um, I don't always access that. Let me talk about something interesting rather than um, whatever I'm talking about right now. Um, my, my dog is making noise in response to my enthusiasm. And I don't really understand dogs and I don't understand my dog. And it's funny, I bring him to the dog park and the squirrels make fun of him because he is too slow to catch them. He, like the dog park is big enough and it has enough of the kind of trees that have squirrels in them. There's usually squirrels running around. There's usually like one that's just in the yard of the dog park when I get there and then Ziggy will chase after it. And then it always gets away because these squirrels are, at this point they're just positioning themselves to be far enough away from him that they can always run away. There's a lot of exits or they can escape up a tree. But Ziggy always gets really close but never catches them. And it's it's funny to see him fail because, um, uh, because he's not a very loyal dog and I, have, I don't find that I'm very loyal to him as a result of him having zero loyalty. I'd say that most of the problem with that dog is that like I have feelings and emotions, but he has none of them. And, um, that's just, that's just funny that, um, the people act like dogs are so, uh, emotional or something. They have a lot of, they have a high emotional capacity. I'm just watching a football game right now. I'm a little bit distracted. Uh, they, those, the squirrels are taunting him. I, that wasn't the case like a couple months ago, but now it is evident. They're actually like taunting him now. They're just kind of like, they're hanging around this, uh, this one squirrel today was just kind of like, they know that he's there and then they escape just in time. It's, it's weird. I didn't know that squirrels were that intelligent. I'm going to maybe turn up the sensitivity on this microphone. Um, yeah, my voice kind of carries, so it's possible that in other apartments around me that other people are hearing my voice that carries. And um, uh, I went and did stand-up comedy, and that was 
that was fun. And then I after um, I've done that a few times over the last couple months. And then after that, they had this other event at a different bar where they just ridicule you for going up on stage and you're not even supposed to have any prepared material, but the crowd just roasts you. And I went to that and they roasted me. And that was fun, I'd say, because I'm kind of I'm kind of paranoid and I think just in my regular life a lot of the time that everybody is making fun of me and it's actually refreshing to go somewhere where they're making fun of you with the things that they'd be thinking in your head about you like everybody should get that opportunity I guess like um yeah I wouldn't I'd say that it was pretty fun I don't know if that's like a good thing for your brain to do that a lot like, I don't know if that makes you better to do a lot, to go to a lot of roast events. That's the only one that I went to. Um, I would tell you like, oh, they made fun of me by saying this, but that's, that's against the point of me having a podcast. I'm just supposed to tell you, good th- I'm not going to like brag about things that they made fun of me with that they came up with. It's not their podcast, so I'm not going to go into it. Um, but like I go up and on stage, I do stand up comedy. I'll... Uh, like I'd be averse to just saying this is my whole routine on my podcast. I could do that and it really wouldn't be a big deal, but let me, let me tell you what I go up there and I start with, I go up there like the current routine that I'm doing. I'm like, you can still get an abortion for a baby that's two years old, right? What's that rule? Like, um, half past three, let it be half past four, get an abortion or something. And then I'm like, Oh Oh wait, now I remember. You can you can't get one at one, but you can still get one at two, seven, and sixteen. And at that point I usually forget what I'm supposed to say. Like last time I went up and that was the next thing I was gonna say, but I didn't say that joke. And I would have said like the it's the just in case clause, like just in case you have a fourteen year old that you're not sure about, you can still do the thing. Like and that's the just in case clause and it's important to trust the legal system and the legal system is there for your protection you really shouldn't people shouldn't harbor a huge amount of distrust against the law because they have laws like that in place or something like that i didn't say any of that and then um the next thing i said was the next thing i said was like i don't see a lot about i don't see a lot about abortions on social media people don't post about it a lot like I no posts that are like I seriously just aborted my fetus and then I made these cupcakes and so I say things like that it's kind of weird to re-deliver it here I'm like and then it's a picture of cupcakes I don't see that post very often and then I say and then I said um the generation that's being born now uh, after generation z they're calling them generation alpha I think that they should actually call them the Pfizer fetuses just for fun, um, I don't, I don't know why. It's good to give character to a generation. Um, so I'm not gonna re-deliver the whole thing because you'd probably be like, yeah. I mean, I don't know what you'd be like. Obviously, I think that it's bullshit when you try to re when you. I think that you don't know what other people think about you, and even like an audience of people that's making fun of me, I would have no idea what they'd come up with and literally everything they said is not something that I would have been thinking like they would say this to me to make fun of me some of it uh like a small percentage of it was accurate and 
but really I kind of felt like I treated it like I would any any event where I'm around people I think I just made it so that they liked me or I wanted to make them like me so I just gave them a lot of credit I'm like oh yeah that's right I just gave the audience a lot of credit rather than act because what are you going to do act like you're insulted when you're at a roast event or the audience is roasting you um and then at the end of it like I was sort of drinking a lot through the evening and at the end of them roasting me I started to turn on the crowd but like just just for fun I think I was just kidding with them it's because they were telling me to get off the stage because I had been on the stage too long and I think it's kind of like in the real world if people were given the opportunity beyond filters to just talk to me like they didn't have to go by rules they would probably just be telling me to go places they'd be like now go over here because I kind of have a tendency to loiter or not know when to leave and so they're like telling me to get off the stage and then I was like oh you guys are you guys are terrible at insulting me. Like, and now you're telling me to leave. This is a roast event. And like, you don't have anything left to insult me with. So you have to get me off the stage. And basically I have the microphone. I didn't really stay around for that long insulting them. I don't really know why I did that. Everyone was cool with it. Um, because everybody there is pretty cool and like willing to have a good time and stuff like that. Like nobody, I wasn't like actually mad. I just think it's funny in retrospect that I did that because I realized the next day, like, oh, they were actually insulting you quite a bit that you, that you, but at the time I thought that they weren't, but it's like, um, kind of with comments that are insulting, at least for me, I, I find it hard to ever be insulted like immediately. Like there's nothing really surprising. There might be a couple things that like are insulting and then you think about them later but I, re- I realized the next day, like, oh, that wasn't necessarily true. They were insulting you pretty well. And, um, yeah, I wonder, I wonder how much my, if my neighbors hate me for having a loud voice or whatever. But, um, I, it's, it's like there's, there's the brain and, um, there's perceptions and like, I don't think that you know what other people like you wouldn't even if they tell you word for word what they perceive of you you wouldn't know what they perceived that like you still wouldn't know exactly the way that they saw you and also even if they insulted you directly about things that would only be a really small percentage of the entire like judgment that they have of you like somebody's entire perception of you they could only communicate like a really tiny percentage of it and even like on like the best they can do is that and most of the time they're not even communicating anything i think that it's just a lot of it's just a lot of harm for you to try to figure out what somebody else thinks of you um this echoes themes of uh, things that i think about often and i don't really get why people don't um at this point or into the future i don't know why nobody has come up with thinking that they have to speak for different parts of their body, like with the introduction of these pronouns for he, him. And I was uh, I was somewhere and somebody was like, who I was getting, no- getting to know, they were like, oh, what are your pronouns? And uh, they asked that seriously, like, I'm like, oh, you have an answer. But they're just kind of, they're just kind of uh, enforcing their beliefs, like the 
the system of people saying that to each other. They're like, oh, well, we all live in the world where you definitely have to have that prepared. So what are your pronouns? That kind of thing. Like, is it like a, a little bit of a fuck you? But obviously that's the prerogative of people that believe that because they are successful at uh, spreading that. And I was like, he, him. But I guess literally I could be like donkey, uh, horse breath if I wanted. Like um, Zane, Maxfield. Like you could do anything, um, boner, police. Or something. Boner slash police. You could do anything like, because you're basically inviting me into a joke. I could come up with any pronoun. But the thing is, like, I literally could do that based on the rules of the game that they're presenting. But nobody does that. And that's why those people win. Is because people like me go along with it. Because ultimately, I'm not going to say something funny because I don't want to insult them. And so that's kind of what they use to their advantage. Is the fact that... People are not going to be confrontational enough and they're just like not, they're not um, open enough or to trust themselves enough that they're just going to say like, oh, you're an idiot for trying to make me say that. Like that doesn't really happen. And um, so that's why those people win is because I reply he, him. And like, I don't know why people aren't talking about their brain like me talking to you right now it's a brain that's talking to you it's not um it's not like all of me because my stomach isn't able to speak to you it's actually just a brain that comes up with all of the words but um that you look at me and then it's like all of it comes from me or who i am but you're seeing that as a collection of all of the organs as if some of the other organs have a uh, mouth to speak with but like with the pronoun thing i feel like at some point people might as well just start saying well speaking as the brain like this is from my brain because especially on the far left those convent like they have conventions where the, all of those people believe heavily in this um way of uh disclaiming yourself like decorating yourself for people in public explaining every like explaining these titles like i'm straight white and um he him or whatever and, like people on the left believe that in public when they announce themselves they have to go through these obvious things because they like obviousness and surface level things and um they like vis- obvious things that's what they enjoy and so they they're like oh let's go through the rigmarole of, re- of repeating obvious things that everybody already knows this is just this is just a way of them adding layers of filters to things to make communication more difficult, probably because they don't like communication. Like the, these are the people that are progressive, but in reality, they're not being very progressive. And um, yeah, like the, I'd say the amount of noise in apartments around me is up tenfold since I started speaking than what it a- averagely is. But, um, you know, it, it's all right that should ultimately be okay like because i'm not everybody is as open-minded as me that i am inclusive of all of my organs that i would be telling you that my brain is speaking to you like at behest instead of you know my stomach isn't speaking to you right now this isn't speaking as a liver but it's like 
people could invoke different parts of their body to be like, well, me speaking, this is actually coming from my liver because they have the ability to do that if they're like, this is all part of my body. And then they can use any part of their body as an excuse, like the same way that they're like, oh, my stomach is sick and they, and uh, so therefore I can't go to work or I can't hang out with you. Or like they come there, make their stomach this big problem. I mean, and people do have stomach sickness and like their stomach can be a big problem, but you, you can just make that a matter of words that you're saying if you wanted to like well my stomach is speaking to me because that's kind of what it's saying if your stomach is sick and then that prevents you from going places and that happens a lot or you have migraines a lot like different parts of your body they kind of talk to you like if your stomach is sick a lot then your stomach is trying to say something maybe to the rest of your body or like needs attention and like i don't know why people don't just say like well my the shoulder is speaking through me right now or because i'm saying like i'm open-minded enough to say that my brain is equal with all the rest of my organs like i'm not going to and so that leads me to tell you that it's my brain that's speaking because that would actually be um that'd be pretty exclusive exclusive to the other organs to say that they're not included in my or uh like (laughs) not included in my speech you know because it's important that I let you know that me saying all this to you is actually as a brain because it is the brain that's just forming all the words but it's like who knows what the brain is up to it might be trying to exclude the other organs like I'm saying I'm inclusive so much that I'm bringing I'm letting you know about this problem or like uh do you know about maybe you're not paying attention to your kidneys enough but like your kidneys don't have a have the ability to speak because your brain uh just kind of overwhelmingly mediates speech like overwhelmingly communicates for you and because it's so much smarter it kind of has this monopoly over the rest of your body to be like I speak for all of it like I as the brain I under my brain me talking right now I understand that I'm not better than the rest of the organs in my body and um sorry if this is a difficult line of speech for you to hear me talking as the brain that is it's but i'm gonna it's i'm the brain that's talking it's not all of me don't assume that that is discriminatory to the other organs like we need to have like i speak there are going to be people in the future that are like i speak through my appendix and because my appendix is what speaks the most for me and like when they talk they're gonna be like this is my appendix talking like you might as well because currently we exist at this more low resolution level where we just attribute all of it to the person their name like don't 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 consider like i mean don't forget about what the brain could be doing like what is the brain up to the brain would probably like to have you think that that's all that a person is and um it's kind of like and then i watched this tiktok where they brought up this point that they said the brain knows where all of the organs in the body are but it doesn't tell that to you like uh in my brain i don't know my own anatomy but my brain does know it it just withholds that information from me and so what is the brain up to can we trust the brain and this is me speaking as the brain like i'm trying to be as aware as possible and bring us all to a more open-minded level of understanding about our bodies me as this brain because i'm on a more an aware brain 
but um and that's not me speaking that's my brain speaking because there's other parts of my body that could be speaking you know but they're they're unable to and i recognize my privilege as the brain as this brain my brain i recognize my privilege and i don't i don't want that to go uncommunicated the privilege brought me here like i'm kind of above everybody else every all the other organs me the brain and um like and uh, like i the brain i'm pretty good at forming words way better and way more intelligent it's almost to the point that i totally crush the intelligence of all those other organs under my weight like all those other organs are so much less intelligent than i am i'm i'm talking as and i am the brain that's talking to you forget whoever i don't even i i mean i don't even need to recognize the name of the person that owns this brain because who cares about that it's actually ultimately a brain that's talking i don't get enough credit everybody should really just be named brain one brain two brain three brain four um in the world probably rat like or i mean when you name somebody you should just be naming their brain right but that's me that's a that's a narcissism of a brain talking to you like saying that a brain is the whole person but it's not i'm trying to give you as best a discussion for it as possible as the brain of whoever it is like i know the name of the person i'm just kind of like being a dick to him maybe as the brain but it's like um tell me tell me about I want to know what is the difference between the brain and the person. You would be pretty uh, like heartless to say that a person is only just a brain. And you're probably like worried about what I'm saying now at this point. That you're like, oh, does he really think he's just a brain talking? But um, like, I don't actually think about that. I'm just doing it for purposes of this discussion now. It's not something you'd want to go into, but you could go into it because ultimately it's like what's beyond beyond the veil. Like, uh it's kind of like your face is like a mask and beyond that there's actually a deeper level of perceiving it which is that what's a brain talking and if you're at that level like if you you could go to the level of f uh further saying what things come from which parts of the body or but uh, now me making is a point not so much as the brain but just as myself um you're like was he ever going to get out of it you're probably worried that it was a tale of spiral that would never end um, the point I want to make more as myself right now is just that, like, I think that people don't recognize the conflation of the mental and the physical, but they don't recognize the conflation of a lot of, a lot of, uh, polar opposites kind of, like I've mentioned in the past, they don't, they, people like to make public life over here and private life over here or say like the public people. There's the public people and then there's uh, private life or it's kind of like a separation between like, oh, there's famous people or the people on TV and they live public lives and uh, like not recognizing their how, that that affects their private life or just like uh, saying that those two things are separate doesn't recognize more a spectrum between them. I think that people do the same thing with mental and physical quite a bit or like almost almost always. They, people are unwilling to recognize that where these areas overlap, they're like, well, is it a mental problem or is it a physical problem? And the crown virus, the COVID, the coronavirus does, does a lot in the area of showing to us that these two things are very similar because of how much you have to look in the face of like a virus and how much it's affecting us mentally and physically. And it's kind of like at some point, the mental and the physical are all 
uh, like similarly aligned in how we're affected through this virus. Like you couldn't just say that it was physical. Like there's a lot of people that want to say that there aren't, you don't have control over a virus or the way that it affects you or like that. Um, it's, and that's kind of more getting into the territory that it's only doctors that would know how to fix you. Like you don't have control over your own body or over your own health. This is part of what the message of standardized medicine brings to you is just that while you wouldn't be able to figure out or help yourself out, like, um, especially not mentally. And I think that people, there's a lot of people that would like to say that if you, it's kind of like goes along with herbal medicine or alternative medicine is to say that like viruses, you might have some control over that, or you might be able to trick your mind into thinking that you don't have a headache and stuff like that. Because there's lots of people that there's people that can do that. Not everybody has the ability to do that. There's different levels to which people's mental and physical are conflated in the area of them having a sickness that they could like control the sickness with their mind. But I think that the coronavirus brings this fully into focus maybe, or maybe it makes it so that we have to recognize the conflation of, um, uh, of mental and mental and physical. And there's, there's that it's like, it's like that conflation, mental and physical. And it's like, uh, the people, there's a lot of areas where there's a spectrum between two opposing sides where people aren't, we're not, we haven't gotten to the perception of seeing differentiated points that exist along that spectrum, like a, like a point that is both mental and physical, wherever anybody exists on the spectrum, like some people have more mental ability to control their sicknesses or whatever. But it's kind of, it's like, what I'm saying is that the problem is the world puts mental over here and physical over here when in reality there might not really be a line between them at all but like there's a line between them but it's just for definition's sake but it's because the world is pretty legal in its dealings and legality kind of prevents you from recognizing that uh overlapping areas sometimes um like because that makes it more complicated from a legal standpoint for the sake of property and possession like people have an easier time saying mental is over here and physical is over here because then when you go into that those things overlap in certain areas uh it's more difficult to that's just more complicated i mean that's just a deeper level of perception you're gonna have to recognize greater levels of definition when you're like there's all these points of reference that are both of those rather than like people like to say that there's mental illness and mental illness is different from physical illness so much that you only refer to that as mental illness or like when in reality mental illness like is all usually always affects you physically i just think that people don't recognize the conflation of these two things i think that there's a lot of people on the left that like um i'll make this point whether or not it it's a little bit of a reach or you would think it was a reach. I just want to explore the idea. Um, the word spectrum comes from the word specter, which means, uh, which is a ghost. And I don't, I don't really understand why that is the origin necessarily. Like it makes sense. I don't know why spectrum, like there's something about it that makes sense. And like, there's more that needs to be unraveled about that connection because it's like spectrum is 
actually a word that comes from specter where it's, it's talking about apparitions or ghosts but it's kind of like the visible spectrum what that gives to you is an image of something that's actually m- moving all the time like the uh it's, it gives you an image of a range of frequency but like uh, of electromagnetic frequency but electromag electromagnetism as far as you able you're able to measure it it's actually kind of moving in a channel because there you're talking about waves and waves are always moving and so to present an image of a spectrum or a section of it like the visual spectrum or the infrared range to present an image of it is kind of um arbitrary it doesn't like it's just a it's just an image for something that is moving and so it's like difficult to actually have an understanding of it because that thing that's moving isn't isn't meant to be spoken in pictures and it's kind of like um our understanding of ghosts is a little bit similar like but uh because all that we have is an we have an image which is ghost and we don't know what's beyond it like and it's just that the more specifically you communicate these things is like the like the more you get differentiated disintegrated images for things is the more you can communicate it intelligently but the way that i see it is that there's a lot of people on the left that like to like and it's not so much on the left i think it's just a there's there's a lot of cnn anchors that their position would be if you believe in a ghost you're an idiot which for whatever reason it goes along with what they're saying and they do they do bring that up and that's their position on that it's like the, there's a lot of mainstream media anchors that for whatever reason they hate the paranormal and they would like to have you th- like i feel like they would like to make the connection that if you're somebody who thinks you believe in uh, alternative medicines or like that you can control your health that you're as stupid as somebody who uh believes in ghosts and um i think that i think that there's just a lack of recognition of spectral areas like in in a similar way that the, that there's a lack of recognition to paranormal things that are going on and like it's kind of like not um i guess it's similar to not seeing like not being able to say that mental and physical are are conflated is like it, there's a lot of people that'll just call you say that you're stupid for um wanting to be smarter or like uh going into theory there you're stupid for going into theory and that kind of thing the the point that i'm making is um a recognition of the paranormal spectrums um and what how necessary the idea of a spectrum i just wonder how much that those two things are connected that the word spectrum comes from uh specter meaning ghost but there's there's like there's other things to talk about there's like uh i think it's interesting that um the there's a lot there's a large group of people out there that look at people like me or people just kind of equate a podcaster with a cryptocurrency type and they're like um they're basically saying that people who believe in uh, currency are like there's there's a couple ways that you could go about cryptocurrency. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, all these cryptocurrency types are so stupid because they think it's going to decentralize the economy. But in reality, the rich are actually just going to own everything the same way that it always works. And I'd say that that's 
false. Like that's that's a even stupider way of looking at things than the group of people that believes that cryptocurrency is going to take off. Like there's a there's this large group of people that hates podcasters and hates cryptocurrency, and they're like, uh, all these cryptocurrency types are. They think that all this revolutionary shit is going to happen, but they're like, I think that that group of people believes that all of this is going to be regulated, or they just. And a lot of it is just a fear of money that people continue to harbor year after year because it's an easy thing to fall back on. It's an easy position to have, thing to stake your reputation in, is that you hate money and you hate the people that collect it because everybody thinks that they know what it means when you have lots of money. And this is just a stereotype and, in my opinion, a harmful one, is that just everybody who has lots of money, uh, they got it wrongfully or they were up to no good to get that and everybody we all know that that is the case because of a like a correlation people think that they get to um go off of a like a correlation like that and it means that they're always right when it's like it's actually kind of unexplored to say that that correlation is always true like uh everybody who ends up with lots of money they were doing that because they're trying to get tons of money the entire time and we know that that's true because um, because of like what it smells like or what it looks like is like, oh, when you have lots of money, that's usually the case that you're a terrible person and people think that they get to operate off of this correlation no matter what when it comes to money. And it's just a, it's a superstition that people have toward money. It's kind of like a superstition that's being broken down now. And people are kind of articulating that when they say like, um, they have difficulty explaining why. It, like saying the cryptocurrency would work because they continued they want to live in a world where cryptocurrency doesn't take off ultimately so that money can be more controlled for whatever reason like it's like they're it's just people that are afraid of a world where money takes on this completely different um life that we have a completely different perception of it and then we have all this like uh in a world where money is completely different people are afraid of moving to that world because they don't understand what it would look like and a lot of these people come up with that we're supposed to be afraid of money the same way that everybody says that you're supposed to be afraid of it forever. That story basically never changes from that group of people that, but it's not like that group of people. It's kind of just everybody thinks that's good and visibly speaking when, when in reality, it's like, you're not, you're not Jeff Bezos. You didn't make $200 billion. Everybody's like, thinks that they're an awesome person for making fun of Jeff Bezos because they're like, oh yeah, well, we know he just wants money. Like everybody thinks they're trendy to shit on him. Like obviously he looks ridiculous uh, laughing about like, hell yeah, I'm going into outer space. Like he sounds like an idiot, of course. But um, in reality, like where's your $200 billion? You didn't, and you also, uh, also you wish that you had that. And that's probably why you're, saying that he's a piece of shit anyway is because you're like i wish that i was smart enough to make 200 billion dollars the thing is the people that make the most money they're actually just willing to drop billions of dollars wherever like it's kind of like it might actually be the case that people who make the most money care the least about it and that's what is that's why they're able to invest a billions of dollars into some company that then gives them a huge billions of dollars return on investment um, it's kind of like you have to really not care about money. Like there, uh, people, people who are afraid of money and, uh, ridicule billionaires for having the most of it 
are the kind of people often that would never take the risk of giving money away. It's kind of like those people like money more that they build up all this fear and resentment towards it and towards the people that have the most of it. And I think that the whole thing is just kind of ridiculous and it's not very progressive to hate money for this for what reason besides like, oh, we don't understand that world. Like it's from people who haven't had that much of it. Like I'm not saying, oh, I have so I have a lot of money. Like I'm on that side of people. I actually don't. Uh, I'm just saying this is this is my opinion of that is those people you've never entered into that world where you have billions of dollars. So like, what would you know about it? And why do why does everybody who doesn't have the money think that they know so correctly what it means to have lots of it when they've never when they don't have any experience doing it? And it's the same with anarchy is that people are like, um, people, everybody thinks that they know what a world of anarchy looks like. And anarchy is just kind of this uh, large unidentified, it's a word for this large unidentified realm of thought that kind of collects all versions that people have of a lawless world. But the thing is that we live in a world that is so based on law. And my opinion is that we live within something like we live within the Bible. And Christians would probably argue that with me because they're like, the world isn't Christian. We don't live in the Bible. I think we live in the Bible because we're still on Jesus's timeline, like the whole world is. And the Bible is the number one selling book and all of the major religions have books that they're listening to. The Bible just happens to be the biggest one because that's the best religion. And that is further corroborated by that we're on. The world is living off of Jesus's timeline. Worse, I think that there is anxiety about Jesus coming back, generally speaking, that never goes away that um, like the end times because we'd never approach that because the Bible is right about so many other things. Uh, like the stories that it presents but i think that we live in a we live in a really legal world and it has something to do with what the bible says about the knowledge of good and evil and like having knowledge is really law based and people uh it's kind of like the same thing as saying that well it's all like you can always go back to science and then you'll be right and that's a similar like easy path to take that doesn't cause you to analyze things on your own to just say like, oh, the people who are doing research are always right or whatever. When it actually, I would say it doesn't make sense to be like, well, the research all says this, like for example, COVID vaccines, they're all good for you. People are like, well, you just don't believe in research then if you say the opposite. But in reality, like there's this whole body of research that says the opposite. People just, it's subjective what body of research you want to believe in. But like the way that you would be above that is if you actually did research on your own, but nobody does any of that besides researchers. That's a very small percentage of the population, but everybody thinks that they can agree with a researcher and then this makes them, that means just as much, that makes them just as good as them, like they did the research. And I don't really know why that is. I think it's because of a fallback on knowledge, dependence on knowledge or like people think that you have to know something in order to move on in life rather than like and it's it's this law-based world but basically we live in a really law-based world it's authoritarian at every level and that's like that's the whole that's the whole thing is that we authoritarian people use 
the lawfulness of the world to their advantage. They capitalize off of that. They capitalize off of property-driven world to, um, like, people's belief in laws, and then it has to carry out, like, people who have the most authority get the most rule or whatever. And authoritarians capitalize off of that because we continue to live in a law-filled world. And Bill Gates, I don't know exactly what the statistic is. Like, he owns more land in America than anybody else. Um, Let me look... Well, uh, no, I'm not going to look that up. He owns, uh, like, he keeps buying up farmland in the United States. This is Bill Gates. He has billions of dollars already. He's just buying up all kinds of land, and he's not giving it to the poor. He's just keeping it for himself because he's a philanthropist, according to the media, that he funds tons of media. He funds billions of dollars into the media, or is it millions? Maybe it's like $300 million, but I'm sure it's more than that. But... The media isn't going to tell you, like, oh, he's buying up all this land in America. I think he owns more land than anybody else in America or something like that. But he just continues to buy land. It's similar to when the uh, Americans came over from across the Atlantic and then they genocided the Indians and uh, took the land for themselves because it's like the a world that's really based on laws is concerned with property, but, like, um, I mean, they would be concerned with the land no matter what, but especially like, especially um, the world that starts propertizing land so heavily, like, and it's kind of a more English world. And I'd say also what goes along with that is more Christian. European colonization is all kind of built on Christianity, like the kind that went to America and colonized that and colonized Africa. That was all Christian. And I'd say that that's like visible as opposed to invisible, um, like, uh, it's visible Christianity, English colonialism, the British Empire. That's more visible. Like that group of people has a better ability to ar- articulate themselves visibly, especially through history. Um, so that it's like Christopher Columbus was a Christian, and he's the guy that, like, visibly speaking, he gets all the responsibility for being the first person to come to the New World. And um, but basically, the, you have this group of globalists that they're crazy enough that I would say it's something like they think that they are the new race they're like the new uh they're they're the Aryan race sort of like they're the they're the best strain of humanity I think is what they've convinced themselves of but they would be in the business of doing that if they're authoritarian over the entire world or like they've risen to that level they probably would get that in their head the same way that the same way that any groups of people in the past always do that warring empires when one empire is more technologically advanced or whatever, they find it and they think that they deserve to go over and genocide other countries or whatever. I mean, just because they have technological advantages advantages, and it's not even necessarily like, oh, they feel like they deserve it. They just end up doing that because they're like, well, we're more advanced and like with America and English people colonizing it, the idea was manifest destiny. They're like, we're destined to take over this entire country because we deserve it. And it's an act of God. And like God, our God is better than the gods of these Indians. And so because of that, like God deserve, we deserve to destroy them. But it's like kind of just an inerrant thing that happens if you have a technological advantage, one, uh, one culture versus another or one cabal or one gang versus another. And I think what you have with Bill Gates and his friends is this group of people that think that they're like 
the the greatest strain of humanity and this like gives them the right if they want to to uh exterminate people or just take over all the land in america like they might think in their heads like we're just going to pave over america with our face or our emblem or whatever the fuck that they believe in like anything that they want to call it they might buy all of the land like if they have the resources to do that then it would turn out that they were something like this a superior race or something but uh what takes me aback is when i read the great reset uh the booklet that klaus schwab made or klaus schwab is the like the head of the leadership of the great reset and friends with bill gates whatever trying to bring about the world where everybody is on lockdown under covid klaus schwab is and i read his booklet and it's just filled with um him promoting himself in really self-absorbed ways as if he like just didn't have very many friends during the course of his life like nobody ridiculed him like that's somebody who really shouldn't have all that power and that nobody should listen to is kind of how he came across in his book is like somebody who thinks he's really intelligent it's like surprising to me because like in reading his book i'm willing to consider like oh maybe they are the greatest or they're the smartest but i think it's just they're a bunch of brats that got the most money and then it's not like those people uh, like they're very intelligent in way in a law-based system where they're able to you where they capitalize off of that things work with the law that way but the point that i was making was every everybody lives in this authoritarian world completely dependent on laws their entire life and then but yet at the same time everybody thinks that they know what would happen if there were no laws when they're they're like and it's just like people are assuming that it always has to be law based this is always the way that the world has to be ruled um but everybody nobody's been to a lawless world they have no experience with one but everybody in this area is allowed to say that they have the ability to predict the future where in every other area we don't believe people who say oh we absolutely know what the future will look like but in this area with laws because the world is so like dependent on laws they're afraid of moving off of it they're superstitious superstitious is a word for standing over things people like to stand over their laws and they like repetitive lifestyles enough that they don't want to graduate to a world where money just flows everywhere and like maybe that would mean that people move around a lot more or something like that um or like rather than stand over their lives and their positions of living the cities that they've lived in forever like what if we what if we live in a world where people moved around it was accepted that people just moved all the time rather than that uh the superstitious world we live in now cause everything kind of directs you towards staying in the same place what if we graduated and it's like a more i'm saying we graduated to a world that's more unidentified rather than identified where unidentified is just um chaos more so and like i'm talking about something like anarchy but the thing is anarchy is just the word for lawlessness and everybody's like well that's your trump card for saying like we couldn't be in a world where there aren't laws because it would result in anarchy and you know what that means when Actually, nobody knows what it means because nobody's been to a lawless world and they have no experience with one. And but these like a lot of these same types of people are saying like it's only people who have the experience in the areas that are able to tell you anything about your life. But like we only know world with laws and everybody's like we know what will happen in anarchy because you people don't even know what anarchy is. But. Also, anarchy is kind of a term that people use for uh, levels of society that are less 
standardized, like um, less standardized, like you might refer to the, there's this group of people that they called the Sea Peoples in, uh, let's, I think around the year like 1300 to 1200 BC, like they're probably Sea Peoples all the time, but there's this particularly known group of Sea Peoples that they called, these are the Sea People, that um, were important around the year 1300 BC because they brought about the collapse of the Bronze Age, where the Bronze Age refers to the empires of like the Hittites and the Assyrians and um, like the city of Babylon, which was owned by some other empire. But like those ones that are mentioned in the Bible, they all collapse at the same time and historians are always trying to figure out what was the cause of it. And the, the main culprit that they come up with is like the sea people raided all of their cities and started burning them. And so I don't know why the sea people were all of a sudden able to, to be successful at doing that it's because the collapse of the bronze age was a result of a lot of different factors um like the uh advent of iron i guess was a really big reason iron is better than bronze but you like through the ages you have all you always have some revolutionary innovation that's basically like the same thing as when they made cars for the first time and then the, how much that revolutionizes the economy of an area and it can really bring about the collapse of a civilization if like previous civilizations are built and identified off of their adherence to bronze and then iron is like so much better it took them longer to like mass produce iron or make it and then give it to everybody because iron melts at so much higher a temperature and they hadn't come up with the technology to burn something at that high temperature they just had bronze and they burned tin which makes bronze to bronze is made of 90 percent copper and 10 percent tin and tin melts at a really low temperature so they were like technologically speaking the world was able to come up with bronze and use that as metal for war or use it as metal for everything that they needed uh, much sooner than iron and then uh, they're able to melt iron then this replaced bronze and then like uh, civilizations identified to it but it's kind of like the uh, I was watching this video there's this really great YouTube channel it's called fall of civilizations it's a great standard for civilizations material like I've kind of been looking for one and this one really does it. It's actually a podcast, but they put it on YouTube. And for some reason, I don't listen to any podcasts unless I unless they're on YouTube. Like I like to take in things visually. And so this, they just take their podcast episode and then put like images to it. And so you can watch it. But they cover a new civilization in every episode. Each episode's like two hours long. I was watching this thing that they talked about. Uh, the Songhai Empire. And the Songhai Empire was in um, North Africa in the year um, like 1300 AD. So recent. The Songhai Empire is in North Africa, 1300 AD. And I th they made the point that it was the biggest empire that Africa ever knew. But it only existed for like 100 years. But um, <clears throat> Like, the point that I was making, the point that I want to make is there, uh, like, anarchy is kind of a word for peripheral levels of lawfulness that aren't as, that aren't a standardized law. But standardized law kind of goes more with religions already. Like, when a religion, like, especially when Islam was growing in around that time, like 1300 AD, it started to move into North Africa, where the Songhai Empire was, and... 
um, it really just standardized uh, belief for everybody in that area. So it's like Islam comes along, and before Islam standardizes religion for everybody in North Africa, everybody in North Africa is more tribal in their beliefs, and they have like their own witch doctors or like their own storytellers in their tribe and all of that is more individualized and separated because it's more given over even to the level of like each individual storyteller each individual witch doctor has something to say and they believe in their ability to say it they believe in a greater level of individualism overall like um before before standardized religion comes along but it's like islam came along in like 1300 or so i hope that's yeah like like 1200 maybe um i want to say it's actually more like islam came along to north africa like 1000 to 1300 it started to really take hold and be across everybody but it's like islam aggregates belief all into one belief system it makes makes everybody in there all one identity but it's like more it's more visible and it's more rich they have more money and it's more like it's like during that time in north africa people started to believe in islam because of the cultural impact of islam and so that they could be on good footing with uh people in the mediterranean because this is just like a giant gang where it's like taking part and it offers you certain protections and it works that way with religion even to this day i'd say that christianity offers you a lot of benefits like financially ultimately because um like it, it has to do with visibility and and money like if you take part in a christian church you maybe have a better uh foundation off of which to leave like uh, individual people and families that unite themselves with a church they may be um fine and like they're offered certain protections that it's like, I feel like I have a greater ability at being a Christian growing up that I might end up leaving the city or doing other things. Like there's privileges that come along with it because, and that's because of the standardization of that, of Christianity. But like Islam was doing this for people in North Africa, people all over the Mediterranean when it started to get bigger. But it's like in North Africa, they didn't have the camel for a long time. And then, Camel came along and that was basically like Henry Ford making the Model T and it revolutionized the economy in North Africa because it could transport the goods so much faster when they used the camel and they didn't have the camel like in a widespread usage until the year like 1000 AD in North Africa. But it's from Arabia and Arabia was already using it, but like Arabia exported the camel to North Africa and along with that they exported the culture of Islam and then it just became this big trading like you had a lot of advantages to be friends with the people that you're trading with and so like all of the countries and all the empires of North Africa started to believe in Islam and it's kind of like a turning over to this richer uh, standardized giant religion that paved over everything like standardized everything to one belief system and what it does for everybody that believes in that system it's like everybody being in the same gang it's everybody you everybody's story becomes the same story and it's like this historical thing where it um like uh monopolizes everybody under the same story or the same historical accounts because you're all you're all doing shit for the good of that story and like the historicity of your religion besides that people are always doing things 
even to this day or for empires throughout history, kings of empires are always trying to position themselves well for how it looks historically speaking. And the saying is that you want to be on the right side of history and that's just kind of bullshit, but it's like indicative of a world that is very given over to stories. But what people do when it's, they take part in a mass religion, it's like a standardized one. It's kind of like a corporatized one as opposed to um, alternative religions, which would be represented by like, witch doctors or tribes of people that they have their own storytellers and they kind of have they kind of have opposing beliefs just on that just on that point that one of the religions islam is standardized the other one is on the other one is decentralized and it's really like a centralized religion comes along islam and then it paves over everything to the point that all of the kings of north africa are like oh i believe in islam and famously there's this king named uh, mansa musa who, and you might have heard of him, he is sort of well-known. He's well-known for doing a particular thing, which is that he went on a pilgrimage to Mecca. And in my opinion, this is just like, um, this is like the epitome of visibility is what he did. He, because North Africa has a ton of gold in it, and that's like the Egyptians were uh, capitalizing off of that when they were an empire, but there's still a ton of gold there now. There was a ton of gold, I, I think. And there's a ton of gold in like the year 1000 to 1400 when these other African, em there are these big African empires that rose up and were basically like empires in any other part of the world, like Hittites or Assyrians or the Roman Empire. They were just as big and they like sought to increase their power or whatever. Um, these empires that rose up in North Africa, the, like, Ghana was the first one. Mali is, like, m maybe the most well-known one, and then after Mali was the Songhai Empire. But Mansa Musa was a king of the Mali Empire before the Songhai Empire came along. Mansa Musa went on a pilgrimage to Mecca and had, like, took uh, somewhere from $500 million to a $1 billion worth of gold with him from where he started off in Mali, which is on like the west coast it borders the it's close to the atlantic ocean but he traveled across all of north africa africa to get to mecca where um he's making his pilgrimage for islam to show visibly to the rest of the world that he aligns himself with islam but also has so much money and he stops in all of these towns along the way and gives them like tons of gold and he travels with this giant entourage mansa musa does like it's really swag it's really lit um what he does it's really um it's really just like he travels he goes he stops in these cities and then he gives them a ton of gold and then um, the economy of the cities that he gives all this gold to collapses because the sudden influx of gold is something that they completely unprepared for like it totally fucks with the price of gold so he's like ruining the economies of these cities as he goes along his way along this way he travels with like 20,000 friends and a bunch of prostitutes and all this shit like it's this big visible display and um like everybody is still talking about it to this day but like it was completely legendary at the time it's legendary enough that it lasts to this day and people even think now that it's like so uh outlandish that he did it but um Another point I wanted to make is just that Christopher Columbus being the resultant person that we attribute going to the New World when it's like Vikings were doing that, but they're not. Vikings were going to the New World, but we don't say any of them are responsible for getting there. And it's because of it's because of something like 
we see the Vikings or sea peoples as existing in uh, greater levels of lawlessness. They exist in the periphery. It's the same with like religions that believe in witch doctors that and aren't standardized religions. They they exist in this more in, imperceptible and invisible state of things where th because they're not part of a standardized giant visible religion, they're not given credit like historically. And uh, like historically, we remember the Mansa Musas and the people that align themselves with Islam, and they are like better. They have better resources to give themselves a lot of credence with the historical records that were written, and a lot of historical records that are written about all kings of empires is actually just propaganda. Is a point that a lot of historians and archaeologists are making now. Is that like all of those records about the kings, most of them that they have are written by the empire and like during the time of the king itself, and they're just written to make the king look good in history. And then there's some people that don't conduct themselves very well, and like. And so they are automatically remembered poorly, and this just kind of is goes along with that. Standardized things are good, destandardized destandardized things are bad. But like this is kind of obvious, just bad standards of conduct are remembered poorly. But um, but it's kind of more like it doesn't make you a good person to be rich and align yourself with the most obvious and visible and popular things. It's kind of like you would be remembered poorly in the eyes of history just for being alternative or being independent, basically, in a lot of cases. And a lot of people that are independent are maybe just operating off of more off of their own uh, individualized like hatreds or emotions. And then that is reflected poorly because if you're too individual, you're not seen as positive by the greatest amount of people or whatever. But it's like Christopher Columbus is Christian. We re and coincidentally, we attribute him as the guy who made it over here. There, Mansa Musa has a story, had a story about the king who was the king of the Mali Empire before him. And he said that the king of the empire before him towards the end of his reign got this idea in his head that he was going to go to he was going to cross the ocean the atlantic ocean and uh go to the end of it and so he loaded up like 200 of their boats um this was around the year 1300 a.d this was a king in north africa of the mali empire he loaded up like 200 boats and told them all to go to the end of the ocean and don't return until you made it there and then come back once you've made it there and then uh the only one boat returned and they're like we got swept up in some giant undertow or something and some and um then so it didn't work out like those 200 boats died basically and then that king was not deterred he's like oh i really want like probably he wants to be remembered for a great thing towards the end of his reign and so then he went out into the ocean with 200 boats himself and the legend is according to mansa musa mansa musa could be lying because like um, he could be lying for a number of reasons, like to make himself look better. And he like he doesn't want to live in the shadow of a former king. So really, what happened to this king is completely up to history. People don't know for sure of whether or not this legend is true at all. But this guy, uh, he never returned the king. But it's possible that he went there and did return. And if that's the case, he was the first person to the new world, and he doesn't get any credit for it. But it's like. There could have been a lot of that going on. And basically that guy is kind of like Elon Musk. And Elon Musk is also from Africa. And it's it's the same kind of urge as like this impossible journey of like, oh, I'm going to colonize or like get credit for being the first person to this completely new world. And all of a sudden this king 
and maybe not all of a sudden, maybe it's something he's singing about for a while, he realized, like, the greatness he could have if he was attributed that, like, oh, nobody's been to the other side of the ocean, which, like, it's, that seems really plausible, but it's the same thing as, like, Elon Musk wants to, uh, uh, cross this giant chasm to a completely new place that nobody's been given credit as being the first person there to do it yet. And uh, it, it's like a s similar thing and like basically large expanses of space. It's a giant chasm. Is um, It's like an ocean and it's possible that in the same way like an ocean you need to come up with technology where you ride waves to get there maybe that's the best way of doing it like i feel like maybe the best way of transporting ourselves over millions and millions of miles in space probably has something to do with understanding the way that waves work right and you would ride the waves the same way that they came up with technology at some point to ride the waves to go across the ocean to go over to the new world um and uh it was probably it would probably involve waves but it's it's like that guy, whether he made it to the New World, it doesn't matter because his empire and the historical records of it exist a lot more imperceptibly than, um, yeah. And I don't know if he had aligned himself with Islam or not, but it's kind of like Christianity is the most visible one. And so it makes sense that a Christian is given responsibility for being the first person to make it to the New World. Um, and all those other groups of people kind of exist imperceptibly, but it's like they don't get remembered in history, but you have a better chance of being remembered in history if you're part of one giant collective where it's like, oh, we have to honor and respect that perception or that tradition a lot more because so many people believed in it. It's kind of like that 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 becomes history, even though there are so many different accounts of history. It works the same way with the media, where the media, all that they cover is um, history because everything that they cover is shit that happened before. They call it news because they're lying to you. They can't call it the olds because that's not as attractive. They call it the news because that's more marketable and more eye-catching. What they present to you is old. Literally, media is always just covering, um, like, media is always covering history, but that there's people that are like, oh, I only believe in the mainstream media version of events. That's the same thing as a lot of people aligning themselves with one religion, that they're like, you make your story the same as everybody else in that religion when you do that. And it's kind of like for the sake of history. And like, people are like, I have this view of history that the most people hold. And that is the view of history. It's kind of like, um, not wanting to admit that independent perceptions are good or um, as possible as mainstream perceptions, but it's like it's like a matter of honoring many different perceptions rather than just a few of them, or like honoring, but people just want to honor the most likely paths or the thing that the highest percentage of people believe in, that they're going to say that that is history, that is the story. And I guess I'd say I'm not in that group, or maybe I'd just like to consider all of the percentages, all of the, the outcomes that uh, like... It should be more about considering all of the different perceptions rather than, but that's like, that's kind of what perception is. That's what it, it rises to that level where it's like the perceptions that we end up with are the ones people believe the most. And the point that I'm making is that anarchy is for, is often a term for the groups of people that exist imperceptibly through history. That it's like, oh, they exist kind of more in anarchy, but it's more just along with that they don't exist in this law-based way where Islam comes along and offers everybody a pretty uh, stringent picture of laws for the society and more religion is more law-based because of the strictness that they impose or that they give to people. Like they, 
they offer that a religion like Islam that standardizes itself over billions of people is uh, gives everybody a, the same set of rules along with giving them the same story. What goes along with that? They have the same set of rules and it's like um, stringency, greater adherence to laws exists when like for when you're aligning yourself with uh, standardization like that. And um, the point that I'm making is just, it's not like um, that doesn't exist. It's not like anarchy doesn't exist. It's not like lesser levels of adherence to law don't exist. They do. It's just a matter of saying like being open to more possibilities, maybe. Um, so like, I guess ultimately I'm arguing for anarchy or something, but, um, I'm just saying nobody's been to a lawless world. So you don't get to tell me that you know what that looks like. That's, that's ridiculous. Isn't it that you would, that somebody would say that? I don't know if you would say it. How dare you, how dare you come at me with that? And Mansa Musa was just like totally ahead of the, ahead of the game. And he just traveled with his entourage. It was just like completely, completely popular. Like he really understood popularity and notoriety a lot to make this giant display like, but people are always doing that. And uh, I was trying to say before those empires existed before Europe started to colonize Africa really heavily. And it's really sad because uh, Europe came into Africa and then they started the slave trade and then just started to take away all of the people from these empires. And it's really like Africa had the potential to make uh, over that next 600 years, all these, all kinds of different cultures and all kinds of different empires, but that ability was taken away from them because Europe came in and started just imposing their culture, made it so that empires like the Songhai couldn't rise up. But like, you just got to watch the Fall of Civilization Songhai Empire episode. It's like one of the greatest stories that I've ever heard. But I'd say that that's kind of the, I like that about civilizations. It's like so many people are involved that it's, it's one of the greatest stories ever, the fall of any one civilization. Um, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, I'll talk to you all. Talk to you all later. Goodbye.